So here we see yet another Ronald D. Moore episode. He's talked several times over in the TNG stuff and on the DS9 stuff about how he's the Klingon writer. I'm not sure when that really started. Like, it kind of had to have gotten started somewhere in Season 4 of TNG. But it just kind of slid in there. Like, okay, we have a Klingon season. Ron, I need you to write something. <clears throat> what I also find amusing, though, is that the ideas that were supposed to be for this episode were actually canned and instead just kind of laid in the back of his mind until later when he would bake them into an episode called Barge of the Dead over on Voyager, also known as Among My Favorite Voyager Episodes. Go figure. <clears throat> Apparently, few people, however <clears throat> Stephen Bear, didn't really care for this episode. I'm not sure why. It's, it seemed to work really well for me, especially given the fact that well, it's got some really cool thematic stuff and an insight into Klingon politics as well as day-to-day -day life on a bird. I think this one's a Kavort? I actually don't remember what the Rataran is off the top of my head. And they use the same model anyway, so whatever. <clears throat> so the Rataran and Martok. Yeah. Um, we'll be seeing the Rataran a few times in the future as well. But this is really our first Martok episode. Now I know what you're saying. What do you mean? We've seen him several times before now. And you're right. But we, we kind of have a unique situation with Martok. First we had fake Martok, who was played by the same actor, but played completely differently. And really, if you analyze their attitudes, fake Martok really is a completely different person than real Martok. Second point, he hasn't really had a chance to do anything other than survive and escape and help with a couple other things, and that's kind of it. This is the first episode that really gets, gives the character a chance to stretch, and is probably one of the reasons why Martok became such a lasting and f favorable figure. Quick little side story. When Deep Space... When Star Trek Online was announcing the Deep Space Nine expansion, the Gamma Quadrant expansion, they announced they'd gotten Hertzler, the, the actor for Martok, on board. He was one of the most champion but like i had so many people going oh my god they got hurt they got martok like they got a bunch of other people but everyone was just jazzing about him as martok yeah you ever wonder if he's a he's a beloved character there you go so <laughs> uh, klingons have a god where do i even start okay so first of all Worf requests his leave of absence because martok basically saved his life in a very Klingon way. Simply by knowing that Worf was going to die, Worf decided to go ahead and keep trying. Real honor instead of fake honor, to put it into such terminology, because we know how Worf has always been very big on real honor, internal honor. But we also see how the fake honor thing can matter as well, because that comes up in the terms of, in uh, let's call it ship politics. I know what you're thinking. Lore, really? But no, hear me out. I mean, you have office politics, don't you? Whether you... I, I, okay, I used to work at a fast food restaurant, at a uh, data center overnight. I've worked at a retail place selling, you know, books and whatnot. And I've worked at a bunch of other jobs. But the point is, each of those all had a form of office politics. Everywhere does this, to some extent or another. Now, ship politics can be interesting because there's a very, very careful balance you want to maintain between, uh, to put it into such terminology, taking care of the ship and taking care of the crew. You may remember uh, two episodes ago, 
I mentioned how Wei Yun had the perspective of just looking at people as if they're units on a board. That's the perspective of taking care of the ship. You need to think about the mission, the objectives, and where you're going. But you also have to, as a captain, be aware of the fact that you've got a crew who are each individual people who have to be taken care of one way or the other. Um, as a quick aside, by the way, I love how Worf seamlessly slides into the role of first officer, dealing with the mundane day-to-day -day stuff and serving as the avenue between the captain and the crew. Just nice touch. I've always said Worf would be good commanding material, and it's just nice to see it in action. Anyways, like, like I said earlier, the red uniform suits him. <clears throat> so, in Klingon politics, getting back to the ship thing, obviously the people have to be taken care of, right? If they don't, well, they can do something about that. And there's several ways they can do something about that. Now, there's straight-up mutiny, which is actually hinted at in this episode, but never actually attempted. But my favorite perspective is how they kind of encourage... I'm trying to think how to phrase this. They kind of encourage the upward mobility perspective without letting it go out of control. So you can challenge someone for their position but it can only be someone directly above you. And you have to have a reason, a casus belly, for doing it. You know, they have to have been dishonorable or fearful or neg negligent or whatever. You have to have some reason. You can't just say, I want your job, stab. Because if you did that, you would be violating the terms of the fake honor. You would be showing yourself as dishonorable, and therefore the rest of the crew would descend upon you with knives and, and, and blasters, and you'd die horribly, right? So, you can't just do it all willy-nilly. That helps to explain how Klingon ships can function at all. Because, well, basically because of the same general reason that most old feudal societies managed to function. I used the term casus belli on purpose here, because they would have, they, you needed to have a reason to go to war, otherwise you're going to have issues, and you're going to cause everyone else to descend upon you because you're the warmonger. Right? It's the same general concept. You broke the rules, so the rules no longer apply to you and no longer defend you. So, fascinating little insight into the politics. But, again, I mentioned taking care of the people. So these, this crew has not had victory in a while. And Martok makes this comment earlier. We are not going to prioritize your personal glory over getting our mission done. It kind of goes back to the ship versus the crew comment I mentioned earlier. And... Before I go any further, actually, I'm going to interrupt myself and talk about how Dax, once again, smoothly slides into the role of being a Klingon. Definite props to Terry Farrell for how effortlessly she manages this role again. She does really good around Klingons. Go figure. And I want to give special praise to Rick Worthy and Sandra Nelson. Now, we've seen both of them. They're both semi-recurring guest stars across Star Trek. Uh, both of them will show up again on Voyager. I believe Rick Worthy has been in uh, excuse me, TNG a few times. And both of them do an excellent job of helping to flesh out some of the additional cast. Now, they're not the only ones. I just wanted to single those two out because I thought they did the best job overall. What they wanted was for each main member of the crew to have a personality that was distinct from each other, as well as a visual appearance, so you could immediately tell which was which. Which is good. And... Actually, kind of, apparently, the props department hated that. but and, and by props, I mean makeup department, excuse me. But it makes perfect sense. I mean, you know, this way we get to flesh out the people, and it probably also contributed to why the Rataran would re return in the future. Not even that far in the future, either. So, Dax points out the flaw of prudence. 
Martok made what could be argued to be called the correct choice. He said, no, that easy win might have caused us tremendous problems. If they had gotten off a distress signal while we were killing them, we'd be screwed. The mission took priority. And he was correct in making that assessment. The problem is that is the perspective of someone who, to put it as simply as I can, has a brain. Now I know what you're thinking. Lore? What? Hear me out. The Klingons, by and large, do not have brains. No insult intended, but for the most part, Klingons tend to be more on the stupid side of the, 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 the meter, right? The exceptions are the ones who usually are smart in their own particular field. Now, Martok, military. He can think in terms of long-term strategy and stratagem. He can actually figure out how to uh, maneuver, reposition, and fight a war. Not a battle. Not a conflict, a war, full scale. That's what Martok's good at. And, I mean, this is a little spoilers, because we'll see this in the future. But you can see the insight of that even here. You can see he's thinking long-term. And, again, I stress strategy, not just tactics, not just an individual fight. So, he certainly does have a brain, but the problem, the problem is, you have to take care of your crew. Now, if this was a normal crew, the Rotaran then there would be no issues here. He would just do his mission and that would be the end of it. But this is a crew that's been facing defeat after defeat after defeat. You have to take care of your people. And the long-term strategy in some cases has to, to bend or break in the face of immediate reality. Because he was facing a mutiny, whether he was willing to acknowledge that or not. Worf saved him from that by being awesome and being Worf. But if it wasn't for that maneuver, Martok probably would have died, and that would have been the end of one of the greatest Klingons ever, because he couldn't see the perspective of the individual. And that's why I keep emphasizing that thing, because that's, that's the, the whole point of this episode is the dynamic between the individual, the, the microscopic and the macroscopic perspective, the perspective of the ship and the perspective of your crew. Now, <laughs> there's this really funny scene that helps to emphasize what I'm talking about. Martok just starts ranting about the Jem'Hadar, about how he understands them and understands their tactics. Now, it's worth noting he was right. This was a trap the Jem'Hadar laid for them. That's what it was from the beginning, and that's he, he was exactly right. He called all of that. The thing is, though, in his rant about the Jem'Hadar, he rants about how they have... They're not people. They're not fighting for any reason or honor or glory or anything. They're just fighting because they're told to. They're just units on a board doing what they're told. This, of course, not only helps to characterize the Dominion, because the Dominion only cares about the ship, not the crew, but it helps to showcase what Martok is dangerously descending into, caring only about the ship and not the crew. Of course, Worf manages to talk him out of it. A quick aside, they, show, they actually sh uh, have the Warrior's Anthem, which is actually really cool. Uh, for those of you who don't know where it actually started in Star Trek Klingon, which is a game I highly recommend you play if you ever have the time to. And uh, this, it was nice to see it canonized and put into the actual show. So Martok steps up and says, All right, all right, we'll go for the win. We need the morale boost. Let's do it. And then they go and they manage it, because thankfully... Martok's also good at the tactical level, so that worked out too. I almost like how they didn't show us the actual battle. 
They just show the result of it, the consequence of it. Because that's the battle's not the point. We got our action sequence in the Wharf versus Martok fight. We don't need a mandatory action sequence that's going to cost tons of money. Especially an episode which has this much cast and crew and makeup. Like, this had to have been an expensive episode, right? Final point before I cut off. I like how they all complain about the extra workload they have to do that Worf normally does. It gets across the idea that Worf works his butt off. Because, of course, he does. He's Worf. I did enjoy this episode, as I tend to enjoy most Klingon episodes like this. Uh, I was actually talking with a friend of mine, who doesn't watch these, so no worries there, about how the Klingons were among the first of this archetype, you know, the warrior code people. But I've argued for years that the Klingons don't deserve to be called a stereotype. Certainly there are episodes where they fail at that <coughs> enterprise, excuse me. But for the most part, the Klingons are portrayed as a fully fleshed out and dimensional, fully three-dimensional people. And I think that's mostly the advantage of time. It's the same reason the Cardassians have a fully fleshed out culture, or the Bajorans, or the Ferengi. It's because a lot of time and effort was invested into making them a fully fleshed out people. And so I enjoy these little insights into the Klingon culture, mentality, politics, individual perspective. I mean, I didn't even comment on the fact that one of the Klingons in the episode just needed to attack something, anything, because his warrior's heart it, it, they didn't even have to say this out loud, but we know, thanks to TNG, we know that the, the the Klingon warrior needs to fight. Needs. And the longer they go without, the worse it gets. And so he needed to fight anything, so he just attacked the thing that happened to be right there. The guy who was drunk. Right? Just little insights like that. I love it. Hope you've enjoyed my thoughts. I'll see you next time.